We're going to be dealing with a serious topic this morning. In fact, we're in Matthew chapter 6. I want us to read the first part of this verse in verse 13. Matthew 6 verse 13. And I want us to focus on this and to think about the attitude, the direction, and if there's an adjustment in our own thinking today, I want us to be open to that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, the first part says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. My wife has a saying. There are times when uh, my 12-year-old boys may be doing stuff in the house. Maybe they're, they're wrestling or whatever. And you can ask them who starts it usually. They, they can tell you who, who starts all those things. But there are times when they may knock something off the wall or possibly break something. And as soon as that happens, they say to uh, my wife, they say, Mommy, I'm sorry, we didn't mean to do that. We didn't mean to do that. And my wife responds, and maybe you've heard this from your parents in the past, did you mean not to do it? Anybody ever hear that from parents? Okay, yes. Okay, did you mean not to do it? You're like, well, what's the difference there? I didn't mean to do it or I didn't mean not to do it. There's intentionality in that. She's asking, did you make it a priority to avoid knocking it off or breaking it? Now, as we come to the Lord's Prayer here, we see the Lord is teaching His disciples. In fact, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but really, it's the disciples' prayer. Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray. And if you want to back up a little further, Matthew chapters 5 through 7 is in the section we call the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the most well-known message that Jesus preached, but it's probably the most misunderstood of all that he preached. People in, that are not even that don't even claim Christianity can tell you about the Sermon on the Mount in different phrases. Probably the most famous is, "Judge not, lest you be judged." So basically, they're saying you need to tolerate anything that I do, and they misunderstand what Jesus is teaching there. He's not teaching; we tolerate everything. So the Sermon on the Mount is not prescriptive. It's not the cure for all social ills of our society. Uh, It's written to His disciples. Matthew 5 verse 1 talks about He's addressing His disciples, His followers, the believers. So this message is to them. We would see that a lot of the more liberal denominations would take the Sermon on the Mount and go after to try, try to solve all the social ills in our country. But again, this is not a prescription for people just to follow this and everything will have a, it'll be a utopia out there. He's not saying that. But it's also not prophetic. Some would say that this doesn't even apply to the New Testament church. This is for the kingdom or the millennial age when Christ himself will come back to this earth and that's when he can establish law and enforce it. So really, the Sermon on the Mount isn't really for us. And I'd say that is not the case either. Let me give you some reasons for that. Number one, um, how, if you think about, is this for the millennial reign of Christ when He will uh, suppress evil and exalt righteousness? Well, in chapter 5, verse 10, He tells His disciples, He said, um, chapter 5, um, verse 10 says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is that describing the millennial reign of Christ? I don't think so. He deals with murder, chapter 5, verses 21 to 22 he talks about this, uh, this anger that leads to murder. And he's talking about all these things, how we deal with this. He deals with lust and adultery in verses 27 to 30. In fact, in verses 25 and 26, he includes, this is a time that includes prisons and judges and all of these things. And there's going to be times when we suffer for righteousness' sake. In fact, he goes on in chapter 6, verse 19, and says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. 
Well, if this were the millennium, why not? Christ is ruling and reigning. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So we see this is not a, uh, purely a prophetic time. This is a manual for us to live in this present evil world. And how a believer deals with persecution and sin and wickedness, uh, we have to go back to what Jesus tells us. So again, as we look at this, um, this prayer, Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray and how to live in this present evil world. So he's, he's teaching his disciples for them to pray that God would not lead them into temptation, but to deliver them from evil. And I want us to ponder the idea, why is it so important for us to have that mindset? Why is it such a big deal that we are to pray to not be led into temptation or to be delivered from evil? In fact, hold your place here. We're going to come back here. But let's go to James chapter 1 because we have this word temptation. The same Greek word is used here in James. And it tells us, it gives us some more information about these temptations. And we have to balance Scripture. And we look at one Scripture, we know there's no contradictions in Scripture. So here in James chapter 1, verse 13 tells us, Let no man say when he is tempted... I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So we, we know for sure God will never put us in a place to induce us to sin. God's not forcing us to give in. We're encouraged by that. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 tells us, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Same word again. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And he goes through this. So he's saying, you know, when we do fall into temptation... It's going to change us. We're going to, we're going to be more like Christ. It's going to do a, a, a sanctifying, a purifying work in us. So if we do go through temptation, it's going to be a good work in us if we respond the right way. So how do we balance this out? That Jesus tells us not to pray to be led in temptation. And we have in James says, God will not lead us there. And if, if we fall into temptation, it's going to be for our spiritual benefit. How do we resolve that? This uh, Greek word is parasmos here. It's proving or testing. This word itself is neutral. Um, in its connotation, it can be used in a bad sense or a bad sense, the same, word, same way as our word lust. We can lust for good things. I lust for food at lunchtime. I lust for sleep at night. But you can also lust for, for bad things. So there's a strong desire there. So this temptation, really, whether it's good or bad, is, is seen in the context here. But again, we are encouraged that in, in chapter 1, verse 2 of James here, that, that these temptations that come, the tough times in our life, result in our character here. So how do, we, how do we come up? How do we resolve these ideas here? Not being, we're praying to not be led into temptation and then bouncing out with what we know in James here. First of all, how do we think about this? An early church father, Chrysostom, said this. He said, Jesus is not speaking focused on a logical structure of theology, but He is focusing on the believer's heart attitude. So back in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, this is the attitude that Jesus is teaching us to have a seriousness about temptations or about being led into a circumstance that would be considered evil if that we have the opportunity of giving in or not. So we have a heart attitude. This is an attitude that is driven to avoid sin and even the temptation of sin. It's a realization that we are weak in and of ourselves and must humbly depend on God for His help. 
This is not the attitude that says, bring on the temptations because I'm strong, I can take it. That's the exact opposite attitude. It's the attitude of, Lord, please don't even lead me into temptation here. So as we, as we talk about this attitude that chooses to avoid or to flee from temptation, what is our attitude? Should we flee or should we resist? Interesting thought there. Do we flee temptation or do we resist? And let me give you the answer before. It's both, right? Let me give you some passages here. John chapter 10 verse 5 This talks about fleeing. There's not a command to do it. It's just this is what happens. John 10 verse 5 says, And a stranger will they not follow his sheep, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. What a thought that is. It's a natural reaction to flee from false teachers, false shepherds there. 1 Corinthians 6 18 says, Flee fornication. It's the word porneia. Similar to our word pornography. Flee this. Get out of there. Don't say, I'm strong. I can handle this. It says to flee. Get out of there. 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says, flee idolatry. And let's go to 2 Timothy 2, uh, 21, just to look at this passage here. In fact, I was asked to sign some Bibles this morning before I came into chapel. And I guess that all the speakers for this year do, and that those are gift Bibles given to uh, some students here at the end of the year. This is the verse that I put down. This was my life verse for many years, that you have uh, favorite verses and they change from time to time. But 2 Timothy uh, 2 verse 22 says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There's a negative and there's a positive. What you put off, you need to put on. Uh, Not the same thing. You're putting off sin, you're putting on righteousness there. You're fleeing something, but you're following something. Fleeing youthful lust, but you're following after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Of course, in the Old Testament, we have the example of Joseph, right? Potiphar's wife came, and day in and day out, we don't know how long a time period that she, uh, she tempted him and was testing him, and he said no, and he said no, and he said no, and there was a time when she thought the time was right to strike, and he fled. He fled. Now, James chapter 4 tells us to submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, as we talk about resisting the devil, that that makes us sound so powerful. Like, if I resist, he will flee. Well, the first part of that is so important. You have to submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to God. That's the first part. And you can't do the second part without the first part. There's the importance of, of submitting, ranking yourself under, and obediently following what God has told you to do. So what what do we do? Do we resist or do we flee? I put it this way. Avoid and flee if you can. Fight and resist if you must. Back to Matthew chapter 5. Here is the heart attitude that Jesus is teaching. He is teaching all believers to have this attitude of, Lord, if it is possible, keep me from the temptation. Keep me from the evil. I want to give you three things that lets us, it, this, this, this prayer for God to lead us from temptation or, or to lead us not into temptation. Let me give you three things that go along with this. Number one, this highlights the seriousness of the offense. If we're praying to not even to be led into temptation, that lets us know that if we were to give in, there would be some serious Consequences. Can I tell you this morning, sinning always brings about bad consequences. 
And it breaks fellowship with God as well. There's the relational aspect. We hurt our Savior, but there's also the consequences of sin. You say, well, if I sin, I just come, come to the Lord. First John 1, 9, I get my sins forgiven. Is that right? Well, that is true. And boy, we come back to that verse time and time and time again. But it's not just, a, oh, I got to do what I wanted to. Now I ask for forgiveness. There's always consequences to that. Let me give you an illustration this way. Let me tell you, I am not a tree guy. I used to climb trees when I was a kid. And uh, I loved to get as high as I could and call my mom out. She would kind of react, you know, and like, oh, no. And I, I thought that was interesting. But uh, I, I have, um, I like trees. I like looking at trees. But also I've had to cut trees down. How many of you have had, had the opportunity, the responsibility of cutting trees down? Anybody? Okay, more, more than I more than I was expecting here. Now, I am not that proficient at that. I, I know you're supposed to tie a rope up there, you know, and, and tie it off and, and all this kind of stuff. But if I were to come, if you were to, for whatever reason, you were to hire me to come to your house to cut a tree down. Now, I, I'm not the guy to do that, okay? I could get it down, but I just, I don't know what would happen. There'd be collateral damage probably. And there's a large oak tree that, that's, I don't know, 40 feet tall. And you say, Pastor Heffernan, can you cut this tree down? And I say, you know what? Let's see, this is a pretty big tree here. And it looks like it's leaning this way. And your house is right here. And your car is right here. But I think... I think I got enough space to drop it right between your house and your car, you know, which would be your shed. I'm, I'm pretty confident. I'm like about a 78% confidence on this thing. I don't want to ask for who would go along with that because someone would say, yeah, I'd go along. No, we would be foolish to go along with that, right? It may turn out okay, but what if it doesn't? Now, this is the idea of giving in to sin. We're to flee temptation. We're to resist it. We're, we see the seriousness of the offense. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a seriousness. We, we take this to account like, Lord, I don't want to be in that situation. When trials come, I may respond in the right way. But I don't want to respond in the wrong way. So number one, the seriousness of the offense. Number two, the lack of of trusting our flesh. When we find ourselves in temptation, we pray, we, we rely on the Holy Spirit, and we, we do it, we cooperate, we have an active part in this, we trust in the Holy Spirit, but we also do our active part, there's a cooperation, our sanctification, but there is a lack of trusting our flesh. You know, I read stories of people who love to go uh, rock climbing, and they like to climb cliff faces, I mean, it's straight up. And they do that by driving in anchors, I guess, and they put ropes in there and they hang by these ropes, trusting in their anchor to hold and their rope to hold. And in fact, I've heard there are times when people will actually sleep overnight hanging from ropes. Have you heard about this stuff? These people are crazy. I mean, this is, this is insane, but they are trusting their ropes, are they not? Let me tell you, our flesh is not to be trusted. Our flesh, and let me put it personally, my flesh has failed me so many times. How many times has anger flared up and you have done something or said something you regretted later? That's probably all of us, right? I mean, we don't want to do this. All of a sudden, somebody, have you ever, somebody that they say, they really get my goat. I know people who know where my goat's tied up. They get it whenever they want to. I mean, it, that's a scary, it's a scary part. And... Uh, um, Dr. Lucan, he, he coached volleyball and bas- girls volleyball and basketball. I don't know if his story, he's probably more sanctified than I am. But there was a girl that I was aware, I told my wife, I said, this girl, you know, there's hot buttons 
She's got at least four of my hot buttons. I mean, she's, she knows, and it's a scary thought when somebody's doing something and you can feel the anger coming. It's like, Lord, please help me. I don't want to do or say something that's, that's wrong here. As a pastor, one of the scariest things I face is when I know someone can push those buttons in my life. That's a scary thought. As a pastor, I can say or do something in a heartbeat that would ruin my ministry, hurt the cause of Christ, split churches. It's amazing. And say, I don't trust my flesh. So this prayer, lead me not into temptation. Number one, the seriousness of the offense. Number two, the lack of trusting our flesh. And then number three goes hand in hand here, the cry of dependence on the Lord to avoid sin. We need to avoid it. And Lord, praise the Lord, if we do stumble and fall, we have 1 John 1, 9. And none of us are perfect here, but there's a seriousness that I want us to get in our minds here to say, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. I can go get forgiveness for it. In fact, uh, somebody, you've heard the phrase, it's easier to ask forgiveness than ask permission. That, that's, a horrible, that's a bad phrase. The cry of dependence on the Lord to avoid sin. As we deal in, in our culture, American culture, and it's rapidly changing, we see what we call cancel culture. And they look for one flaw or one shortcoming to eliminate this person. They're eliminating historical statues, characters that have been wonderful founding fathers in our past. They find one thing that's wrong with this person. Did you know this person did that? we got to get them out of our history books. And let me say that they're, the same is true in churches as well. The same is going on in families, in children. When they find out my parents are, are not perfect, that they have, they, they're a sinner as well, their children say, I don't have to obey my authority because they are, they've done this or they've done that. And, and people are walking away from that, finding out the flaw here. And let me just tell you, don't be the person that gives the offense to allow someone to walk away from Christianity. There's a cry of dependence on the Lord to avoid sin. A mature believer will understand that no one is perfect and we can learn much from flawed, sinful Christians. But we want to be mature and not just discount everything there. But for us personally, there's a dependence on the Lord to avoid the sin. So here we have a paradox. We, we know trials will help us grow spiritually, yet we have no desire to volunteer for them. We desire to avoid even the possibility to sin. In Matthew 26, 39, we have the Lord praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And remember he prayed, he says, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And as I think about that, there are some similarities. We are not the spotless Son of God. And Jesus did not have any weakness in His flesh. But there are some similarities. Jesus wanted to go to the cross. He knew it was the Father's will. But I don't think He enjoyed that. He, he endured the cross but he knew what was coming, the joy that was coming afterwards here. Let me put it this way. Someone put it this way. Our proper reaction to times of temptation is similar to that of Christ. But for us, it is a matter of self-distrust. When we honestly look at the power of sin and at our own weakness and sinful propensities, we shudder at the danger of temptations or even trials. He goes on to say it's an appeal to God to place a watch over our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our feet, and our hands, and I would say even our minds, that in whatever we see, hear, do, or go, He will protect us from sin. Is that your heartbeat this morning? There's a loathing 
There's a, 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 a fear, if you want to put it that way, of sin. We do not want to trespass. We pray for God's protection from sin. But again, it's not a passivity. You say, Lord, protect me from sin and I'm going to go do whatever I'm going to do. We have to do our part. It's not a passive sanctification where we sit there and God does it all. And on the flip side, we don't do it all. It's a cooperation of the Holy Spirit and us working and doing our part. We should actively avoid things that cause temptation. I tell you, say, what are you talking about, Pastor? All of us know the temptations that affect us in our life. If I were to share some of my temptations, you'd say, what? You're tempted by those? I'm not tempted by that. But you know, if you had the reality and the honesty of telling me what, you're, what tempts you, I may be surprised. That's not, that doesn't tempt me. But we should actively avoid the, that, those things that cause temptation. And then we should actively remove things that cause temptation. Not only avoid them, but it sometimes remove them. Listen to Mark 9, 47. And if thine eye offend thee, that means to cause you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. That's saying take radical action to remove the temptation in your life. It may be you, ha- you need to come home a different way because there's something that you drive by that is tempting you. It may mean that you sever friendships. It may mean that you cut your cable TV from your home. Maybe you get off Facebook, whatever that, that is. You stop watching the evening bad news. I mean, you know, some people have a gripey, critical attitude. Maybe turn the news off, you know. Maybe only watch two hours a night as opposed to ten hours of news a day, whatever that is. You may even have to get rid of your smartphone. Because, men, it's better for you to have a successful, godly ministry and never own a smartphone than to have a smartphone and be out of the ministry. Folks, this is we're talking about the seriousness of this. It's better for you to thrive in the ministry without a smartphone than, than, that, than for, there to be, for that to be a trap and a snare that destroys your life and your future family's life. Let me tell you, nobody getting married expects to get divorced. But there are sin, ugly consequences of sin that rears their head and destroys families. We should actively remove things that cause temptation. And then also, we have a lot to think about for ourselves. But if you say, Pastor Heffernan, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I don't think there's anything in my life that's, that's a snare to me. Then be aware of the people around you. Don't put something in their life that may be a snare or temptation to them as well. Remember, the Apostle Paul says, If meat make my brother to offend, means to cause him to go back into the idolatrous lifestyle in which they were saved from. If that is a stumbling block where they just can't get past that, he says, I will not eat meat. That is a self-sacrificing attitude. And again, it highlights the seriousness of this. So if God expects us to pray for temptations to be avoided in our life, surely we're not to place temptations into the lives of other believers. All of us deal with temptations. But this morning, my purpose is to say, look at what Jesus is teaching us. There's a seriousness involved with this. There's not a flippancy. There's, oh, well, we all make mistakes. We all sin. We all do whatever. There should be a seriousness and even a desire, a strong desire to avoid the temptation. 
And let me ask you this morning, is there something that the Holy Spirit has put its finger in your life and said, you know what, this is causing problems in my Christian life. I get a handle on it, then it comes back and it comes back. Is it time to do something to remove that from your life? And before we go back to our busy schedule and the midterms and all the, all the, the, the exams and the tests, I want to take a time to just, just to take a moment to deal with the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I need. I want to have this attitude. Lord, help me to have this attitude in my prayers. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the pattern that you give us as you taught your disciples how to pray. Lord, help us to have the seriousness as we think about sin. Lord, help us to not have a flippant, casual attitude. Help us to not trust our sinful flesh, that we'd have barriers there to protect us. And Lord, we do thank you, as I've mentioned before, we do have your gracious forgiveness, Lord, when we do sin. But Lord, that's not our desire. Lord, how much sin could we avoid if we were to obey what you have for us, this this desire to avoid it, to do what is necessary to remove it. Lord, help us as we walk with you, Lord, not to be self-righteous in all of this. Lord, we understand that we are sinners preaching to sinners. Lord, help us as we understand the, the help that we have through the Holy Spirit. We pray for some that are here today, Lord, that they would take the next step in radically doing something different. Lord, that they would see the benefit of this for generations to come. Lord, we love you, want to please you in what we do and say. In your name we pray.